We continue to look through the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, the thread that weaves through 2 Corinthians that we're going to look at this particular week is that uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and how important it is. When we come together, um, we may talk about something practical like the local church, which we did earlier this month or last month. But even then, we do it because the local church is the place where the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. We may talk about prayer, uh, and we may take a couple weeks and talk about prayer. But again, the goal of that is, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can understand it better, we can appreciate it more, we can share it more, and we can live our way, a life in a way that says thank you for that good news. Well, what I'd like to do is I want to show you that how important that it was, even in this second epistle to the Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, actually I'm going to start in the book of Acts, give you a little bit of a history lesson when the church of Corinth was first constituted. So I'm just going to read a couple verses here in Acts 17 and 18. But I'm going to start reading here. At <clears throat> now this is Paul's second evangelistic trip in and around the Mediterranean Sea. Verse 1 says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them, and three Sabbaths reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging, that Christ must needs have suffered, risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So I want you to look, and if, if you would kind of picture um, the, 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 the Mediterranean Sea, and, and in between Asia Minor and Greece, there was a body of water called the Aegean Sea. And in there, to the right is Asia Minor, or to the east, and to the west was Greece. But due north, at 12 o'clock, you'll see Philippi, okay? Way at the top, you see Philippi. And then to the left of Philippi are these three cities that are listed in verse 1. Amphipolis is the one right to the left of Philippi. To the left is Apollonia, and to the left of that is Thessalonica. So Paul is working away around the rim of the Aegean Sea, and he'll eventually get down to Corinth. We'll get down to there in a second. But you'll notice what it says a couple phrases was, he would go into a city, and the first thing he would do is he would look for the synagogue. And he would go there, and he would start preaching Jesus. And he would talk about Jesus, his uh, death, burial, and resurrection, that he fulfilled the Old Testament. And he was doing this all out of the Old Testament because the New Testament had not been written yet. Okay? <clears throat> Verse 4 says, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, gathered on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. So just about everywhere 
Paul went, he had pretty much the same response. The Jews didn't like him, and the Greeks didn't like him. But in there, he was searching for a people that God had worked on that this gospel meant something to. Okay? So after he was there, he usually had to hightail it out of town pretty quickly. Okay? There was times where he got put in a basket and led through a wall. I mean, there, he escaped all different kinds of ways. Okay, I'm still in 17. <clears throat> so he gets chased out of Thessalonica. And it says they go to Berea. Now that is just in this row of cities. It's the next one to the left, or you're looking at a a map. It's the next one to the west. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. And coming thither, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. See, same old pattern, right? These were no more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. Search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Many of them believed also in honorable women which were Greeks of men, not a few. But the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul in Berea. They came thither also and stirred up the people. So notice that he was in Thessalonica. He got chased out of town. He went to the next town, Berea, and when he got there, the people in Thessalonica found out and they dogged him down. So they started persecuting him there. Got it? So he gets up and he leaves again. It says, immediately the brethren sent Paul to go as it were to see, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted brought him unto Athens and received a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, and they departed around the rim of the Aegean Sea. So they leave Berea and they come down south and now they come to Athens. Now they're getting more south in Greece. So they spend a good deal of time in Athens. Got it? Verse 1, Acts 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Um, if you'll notice, if you see, um, if you look for Athens, Athens is kind of on the east coast of Greece, and Corinth is more central. So he's still heading, and he's heading west now. And the next city to the left of Athens is Corinth, and that's where he's at now. I'm going to skip down to verse 4. And it says, He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks... And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Macedonia is way up there by, you know, Thessalonica and Berea and all those other cities. Um, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. So you're kind of getting the pattern that when Jesus was preached, Paul was, Paul was there and that was usually number one on his mind. He would show up in the synagogues, There were people that believed on God. Sometimes there was Greeks present. Sometimes there weren't. Sometimes they embraced it. Sometimes the Jews didn't. Sometimes the Jews embraced it. The Greeks did not. But his method was the same. He would show up in a new city. He'd go to the synagogue. He'd preach Jesus Christ. If they turned him down there, he'd go into a marketplace and he'd preach Jesus Christ there. Paul had a one-track mind. There's no other story. Anything else is just hot air. Okay? So he's preaching Jesus Christ. And they give him a hard time. 
And that's all recorded in 18. But I want to skip down to verse 9 now. So I'm in Acts 18, verse 9. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. In other words, don't be afraid. Let her fly. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And when he was there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. <clears throat> Notice what it says. He, then says, he, he says, I have some people there. Right? He says, I don't want you to try to persuade some people to become my people. You understand? He says, you're not there to turn goats into sheep. You're there to turn lost sheep into found sheep. I've got sheep there, and I want you to preach. And he preached there for 18 months, a year and a half. And God said, I'll be with you. I'll put a hedge around you. I will protect you. Okay? So, he starts a church in Corinth during these 18 months. And then he goes away. And then he writes 1 Corinthians because from the time he preached there and constituted the church <clears throat> to the time that he had to write 1 Corinthians, some people came in and they started perverting the gospel. They started threatening them. And you think, well, why would they do that? Well, they did that to Paul. They chased him down. They dogged him down. So it didn't matter where he was, the church of Jesus Christ was under persecution all the time. So when Paul leaves and some people come in and start perverting things, it really shouldn't surprise us. But he writes 1 Corinthians, and then some time goes by and they correct some things, and then he writes 2 Corinthians. But I want to show you something. i got one more passage I want to read. This is in 1 Corinthians. Know what it says there, <clears throat> okay? So Paul goes to this city in Corinth, <coughs> constitutes a church, lives with them, establishes them, gives them a pastor, uh, works with him. They're going for 18 months, and then he departs to continue on his trip. But notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 1. This is after he left. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. <coughs> See, there's that theme of preaching Christ. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called. That's just like the language in chapter 18 of Acts. In that group, the people that God had not worked on, it was foolishness and a stumbling block, but in that group there were some people called by God, and to them the gospel was the power. Both Greeks, it was Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So that's who he was looking for. And that's what we do in this city of Roanoke, Virginia. The thing is, is I'm not very good at figuring out who's God's children and who's not. So you know what I do? I preach it to them all. I let God sort it out. Amen? Let him worry about that. But we still need to share it. So he goes and he shares it. And this is what he's telling them. Okay? <clears throat> All right. So with that being said, let's finally get to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> Paul, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth with all the saints which are in Achaia. Grace be to you and peace from our God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice this. I told you there was a theme of preaching Jesus Christ throughout this book of 2 Corinthians. And you're thinking, why, Paul, why do you have to tell this to a church? You've already been there. You ministered to eight months. You've preached the gospel for 18 months. You got pushed back from the Jews. You got pushed back from the Greek. And you still preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You left. You wrote us an epistle. And a lot of people think they're, <clears throat> well, I'm pretty convinced there was at least three epistles. There could have been even a fourth one. But only two were canonized in Scripture. And, and, and here we are, you're writing this thing, and you're still stressing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would Paul have to stress it? Because they forgot. Right? Sometimes I was talking to a friend of mine, a preacher friend of mine, and he reminded me that sometimes we treat God like a genie. We just rub the bottle when we need him. <clears throat> That's not how we need to treat Jesus Christ. We need it all the time. Good times and the bad times. Okay. All right. Notice what it says throughout the book. This is just a couple quotes. Paul and the ministers he traveled with preached Jesus' gospel. In 119, this is all in 2 Corinthians. In 119 it says, Jesus was preached among you by us. In 2.12 it says, I came to Troas. Why did I come to Troas? To preach Christ's gospel. Four or five, it says we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, the Lord. 9.13, we want to glorify God for your professed subjection unto the rules of decorum. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then 10.14, we came preaching the gospel of Christ. I know those are paraphrased, but they're all in there. The theme of preaching the gospel was there. Remember, 2 Corinthians is a response because they, the people at that church, there was a remnant in that church that were questioning Paul's credentials. And, And they're looking at his ministry and they say, Paul, your ministry is not shaping up. And he says, I was laser focused. I preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. What else do you want? Evidently, they wanted something else. Now, I got to admit, when we went to the 1 Corinthians chapter 1, they didn't exactly appreciate Paul's delivery. Right? They liked eloquent Apollos. They liked charismatic Peter. But there was plain-speaking Paul. I don't know about you, but I like plain-speaking I like the simplicity that's in Christ, and the simpler the better. Okay? That way I can't miss it. Okay? But that's what they found him guilty of. Boy, I wish someone would say, I found you guilty. Yeah, I, I think I shared that with you one time. This was many years ago when I was at the bank, and I was still working at Michigan. And, and, and we were, I was, this is, I was in investment banking. I was on the trading floor. I was doing some work there. And, and this girl, got, she got so frustrated at me. She said, Doll, it's so hard talking to you. All you care about is what the Bible says. 
she thought she was insulting me terribly. <laughs> All I did is, I said, thank you. What a great reputation, which made her matter. Okay, that, that was Paul. He was just focused on Christ. He was focused on Christ's gospel. No matter how hard they pushed. So, as we went through this, and I went through 2 Corinthians, notice what was in, um, preached, what, what that good news included. In 2.4, this is all 2 Corinthians, it says, Thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. The good news causes us to triumph in Christ. That doesn't mean everything comes out rosy. Sometimes you get sick. Sometimes you get um, laid off. Sometimes other stuff happens, right? But we can triumph in Christ through those trials. Okay, that's the good news. 3.14 talks about the veil. This is all as a result of Christ. The veil that was present when you read the Old Testament, Christ took that away. That's good news. All those types and shadows of the Old Testament, they're gone. 4.14, you know the same God that rose, raised Jesus from the dead? He's coming back to raise you from the dead. That's good news. 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Are you in Christ? Yep, you're a new creature. That's good news. And then 5.18, God reconciled us to himself by Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. <clears throat> he took away the schism between you and God. The gulf that was mentioned in this song this morning. He took it away. He dissolved it. Y'all, that's good news. And you're going to fuss at Paul because that's all he wanted to preach. You guys are smiling now. Okay, that theme went all the way through. He's defending his ministry and he says, okay, I'm guilty, I'm guilty of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's wonderful, isn't it? Okay. Got another passage I'd like to read. This is in 2 Corinthians 2. Let me read 2, 3, and 4. Paul is talking to this church. Now again, I, 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 you need to consider the context. We started off in Acts 17 and 18 where he went there for 18 months and he constituted a church and then he went away. And they got off track. And the fact that they got off track, again, is not surprising because they had so much pressure from the outside. And they started getting off. So he writes 1 Corinthians. And pretty much the majority of the church get back on track but there's a remnant in there still causing trouble. There's still pressure from the outside and a little pressure from the inside and they get off track again. So they write 2 Corinthians. Let's read what it says here in chapter 2, verse 2. <clears throat> for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I was here for 18 months and I preached Jesus Christ and I preached it as simply as I could. Right? Jesus' blood plus nothing. 
people started adding stuff to it. Writes 1 Corinthians, Jesus' blood plus nothing. Come back to you again. Jesus' blood plus nothing. Why do we always want to add ourselves into there? Well, let's, we'll see that in a second. Verse 4. For he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might bear well with him. Listen, there are other Jesuses, there are other gospels, and there are other spirits. We've got to figure out the right one. Which one is it? It's the one that finished the work. I want the Jesus that finished it. Okay? All right. Let me show you something here. Four warning, five warnings of Satan in this book. Notice what it says in 111. Lest Satan should get an advantage for us, for we are not... A- Satan is real. He's alive and he's well. And he's got a lot of tools at his disposal. And he hates truth. And he's going to do everything in his power to try to confuse you from the truth. And here are five warnings he's telling them that lest Satan should get the advantage. Verse 4-4, he didn't use the word Satan, but he said, the God of this world hath blinded. In 11-3, as the serpent beguiled Eve through subtly, who's the serpent? Satan. How did he do it? Put doubt. Yea, hath God said. Yes. He questioned the word. He added to the word. He denied the word. And then he offered eternity. Eternity is something you can't get. It's something that Jesus gives. Verse eleven fourteen. No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And then twelve seven. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. He's got the full court press on. And, and, and Paul wanted this church to know, to be aware, to be aware of his devices and his tactics. <clears throat> How does this come about? I, I, I spent some time, and it was, I, I've been a little bit sick this week, so I spent more time <clears throat> inside just being brain dead, I guess, for a while. You know what I mean. I was too tired to do it. When, when I read, I couldn't do much. So I listened to some things. Uh, I could take some of that in. And I was surprised to find out that on the West Coast, there's some school boards that are pushing the agenda that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is racist. You think that's the silliest thing I ever heard of? Well, that's what I said when I heard it. So I looked it up, and yeah, along the West Coast, three states right there, they're all pushing that agenda in their school. There's some professors on the right side of the state, the East Coast of America, and they're starting to write things about that, and they're calling it racist. To demand something that factual is racist. I started thinking about it. This is how my mind works. I know I can be silly sometimes. And I was thinking, you know... If I filled out my tax return and I said I paid $2 in from payroll withholdings and I paid another $2 f- 
from quarterly estimates. And on the software package, I put, I paid $5 in taxes. I don't think the IRS will be too happy with me. They will call me a perjurer, tax fraud, but at least California will call, won't call me a racist, right? I'll be in all kinds of trouble. I started thinking, you know, if I was an engineer and I was building a bridge, and I built a support beam that could hold two pounds, and I built another support beam that could hold two pounds, and I said, I think two plus two equals five, you can drive a five-pound truck over that bridge, and when it crashed... I'd get fired for being incompetent. I'd get sued for being negligent and guilty of murder. But at least in California, they wouldn't call me a racist. Do you understand? What's going on there? Satan is trying to undermine truth. Pure and simple. And they want, he wants to put doubt in your mind just like what he did, I call it the oldest trick in the book. You know what the oldest trick in the book is? Cast some doubt. That's what he's doing. So then I'm listening to some more. I'm getting angrier, and pretty soon I had to shut that stuff off. But I, I did go another place, you know, about all this gender stuff that's going on. And I thought, what happened if I was an archaeologist? And I found the remains of a skeleton. And I'm looking at this skeleton because they actually they just did. I just saw, I read an article and they found this room in Pompeii and they found these two uh, skeletons down there and they said these are the remains of two males, one a 20-year-old that was pretty weak and fragile and the other one was a 35-year-old that was very strong and very healthy. <clears throat> and I asked the question, how do they know? Well, you know that answer. They use biology. And I wondered, well, when they teach archaeology now, are they teaching them to be racists? Right? H- how does that work? How do, 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 and, and we're sitting there, we're thinking, that's so silly. But that's what's being pushed in our school system. So how are you going to reason with kids that don't know how to reason because they don't trust facts? Well, by and large, spiritually speaking, this is what was going on in Corinth. They were getting put doubt about these very basic principles that Paul was presenting. And that was what he was facing. And he's warning them, Satan is alive and well, and he's going to do everything in his power to put doubt in your mind about the most basic facts. And he had to bring them back. Okay? Okay? Not only will Satan do it, but there's preachers that's going to do it too. So Paul is warning them of preachers that are going to do this. I know that you think, you know, you see the cartoons and the devil always looks scary. No, they can have a very nice clothes on and even smile and be put together pretty well and lie through their teeth to you. Okay? Look what it says in 2.7. He's talking, this is all, again all Second Corinthians. False teachers pervert the truth. In 2.17 it says, we are not as many who corrupt the word of God, rather we speak in Christ. 
You mean there's people that are actually perverting the word of God? You bet. He was warning this church. 219. Our preaching was never, was, I'm sorry, was always yay or nay, but it was never yay and nay. That means like talking out of both sides of your mouth, right? When I told you yes, it meant yes. When I told you no, it meant no. And I never waffled yes and no. <clears throat> and I know Brother Danny says, but you always say it depends. For two, there's some folks that renounce the hidden things of dishonesty versus handling the word of God deceitfully. And then 11, 3 and 4, we just read that. Some corrupt the simplicity that's in Christ, they preach another Jesus. And then 11, 13 through 15, there are false apostles, there are deceitful workers, and they transform themselves into the apostles of Jesus Christ. There are some fakes out there. And you know what? We have the ability to determine the fact, fakes. Okay. So, we have Satan working against us, Satan working against the church of Corinth. They had false teachers coming in, giving them bad information and preaching things incorrectly. Second Corinthians had that too. But we got something else. We got our own flesh. And there's something about our own flesh. That's Satan. No, it's you. Well, that's those false teachers. No, it's you. You know, we got an enemy within us. And there's a part of our flesh that doesn't like truth either. But I'm born again. That's right. So was Paul. That's what Romans 7 was all about. Now, I'm not going to read that whole passage, but there's three verses from Romans 7 I do want to read to you. The first one is verse 18. I know I'm taking little sound bites. That's so dangerous when I preach that way. But if I don't, I could never get the whole subject. So you've got the notes. Go back, look them up. Make sure what I'm telling you is the truth. Try my preaching. And if I'm making a mistake, please show me because the last thing I want to do is misrepresent God. Verse 18, it says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now, wait a second, Paul. You are the Apostle Paul. You have been born again. You've been ordained. You've been performing miracles. You've been planning churches. You've been having sons in the ministry. You've been inspired to write scripture. And you're saying even within your flesh, there's nothing good. And Paul and and scripture who's being inspired to write this is the answer is amen. But the good thing is, is also inside him is the spirit of God. But that flesh part, there's that battle. It's like those little cartoons way back in the olden days. They don't make cartoons like that anymore. Where you have the little guy with the devil on one side and the little little guy with the, 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 the angel on the other side saying, do it, don't do it. Well, that's the principle that's going on here. There's a battle that goes on within us. And even children of God have that battle. And if you're to say, that doesn't go on with me, you know what? Satan's already won. We've got to be aware of it. But know what it says in verse 22. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That spiritual part in me just says, praise the Lord. And there's a battle that goes on. Amen? There's a message that I preach at the rescue mission. 
And what I do is when I preach it, I actually have a picture of a flower box. You know, like the one you'd hang from a window? And on one side of the flower box, I have a tomato plant. And on the other side of it, on the flower box, I have a kudzu vine. All right? And I talk about feeding the kudzu versus feeding the tomato plant. And everybody says, well, I know how that works. I said, what you have to do is you've got to feed that tomato plant every single day and you've got to take your knife and you've got to cut back the kudzu vine every single day. And I said, what happens if you take a couple days off? The kudzu vine is going to engulf the tomato plant. To do nothing is to lose. That's, that's what this is. So it's not like, okay, I got it, and you rest on your laurels. No, every day you've got to weed and nourish and cut back that kudzu vine. No, you've got to weed and nourish the tomato plant, and you've got to cut back the kudzu vine every single day. And then 25, this is all in Romans 7, with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul, you sound like a schizophrenic. That's the case of every child of God. And until Jesus comes back and redeems this old carnal body and gives us with that good one, we're going to fight that to the day we die. You know what? The battle's worth it. But I got good news for you. If you have that battle, that means you're his. Because if you don't have the battle, he's not in you. So the battle's good. It's good evidence. Okay. <clears throat> I want you to notice something. Think, re- reason with me. Paul is being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write 2 Corinthians. So these words are God's words that are inspired. But even then, notice how many times Paul quotes Scripture. Think about it. Paul is quoting Scripture, and he's being inspired of God to write. So how about me that gets up here to preach to you? I hope God's involved, but he's not inspiring me like he's inspiring Paul when he wrote 2 Corinthians, but he was quoting Scripture. Then a schlep like me that gets in front of you, I better be quoting Scripture. That's the only authority that I have. Well, God told me in a dream... I've heard that. You know what I say? You didn't tell me. Show me the scripture. Amen? I need, the, I need scripture. 4.13, he says, It is written, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. 6.16 through 18, God hath said, I dwell in them and walk in them. 8.15, it is written, He that gathereth much hath nothing over. 9.19, it is written, His righteous remaineth forever. These are all promises. And then 3.15 talking about, but even unto this day when Moses is read. You know what that is? That's the word of God. Paul constantly referenced scripture even though he was inspired of God. So if he quotes scripture, ought not we? And then finally, here's part of that battle within us. Our flesh resists scripture. You think, why would we buck Scripture? Because we think of a lot of ourselves. 
We think what we feel and we believe actually has something to do with anything. Don't we? If we're honest? Don't I think, don't I just, one day we'll get, all I want, all I care is what God thinks and feels. Maybe one day I'll get there. Nah. But one, you know, maybe, maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll go for longer periods of time where I'll think that way. I hope. Our flesh resists Scripture. 10.5. Casting down imaginations. Bring into captivity every thought to Christ. That's you and I. 10.12. Measure themselves by themselves. Compare themselves among themselves. <clears throat> now, we don't really do that way, do we? This is how we do it. Well, I'm praying a lot. And I'm sure a whole lot praying a whole lot more than this guy over here. So I think I'm pretty good shape. Right? Yeah? What am I doing? I'm measuring self by the brethren in the church. I'm sorry, Brother Richard. It's probably the other way around, right? Yeah. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. But that's my, 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 my brethren aren't my standard. Christ is my standard. I don't compare myself to my brethren. Now, the only time I do is Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. So you can compare him to Paul, but you only compare him when he's following Christ. So in essence, you're following Christ. Amen? Okay, we just read 315 where Moses is read, and the veil is upon our heart. That's our flesh. <clears throat> what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? We've got a lot of idols in our lives. Maybe. Sports. Maybe stuff, maybe money, maybe education, maybe prestige. We got all that kind of stuff, yeah. Maybe work. Three thirteen five. Know ye not your own selves, how that Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. So there are times that Christ is in us, but we're still acting very foolish. And that's that battle that we go on. That's why we hear Scripture. That's why we read Scripture. We're constantly looking at ourselves, comparing ourselves to the standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. One more thing. How do you do it? Well, there's three ways. There's three ways. We just read this in um, Acts 17. Notice what it says. It says, These Bereans searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul preached was true. Once again, I'm going to use the same standard. Paul is being inspired of God. He's God's man. He's God anointed. Starting churches, writing scriptures full of revelations. And even when he preached, they went to scripture to see if he, what he was telling them was true. How much more should you do that than when someone comes in this pulpit in the year 2022? No matter who he is, that's what she should do. And I'll get you what? I'll get tell you what? Kids, this is one time when you can say, Dad, can you show me? With Scripture. That would be okay. Now again, watch your attitude when you say it. But that is okay. Dad, I don't understand the principle. Can you show me the godly principle? Can you show me the scripture behind that? Yeah. Okay. Now, again, there are some times where obey me and I'll show you later. 
You got that? We've, we've been through that in some child training stuff. But this is a good thing for parents to keep in mind too. In Matthew 7, 20, how do you know if it's true? You look at the fruits. So you look at the policies that we're embracing as a country and you look at our country and you look at the fruits of it. That's not of God. <clears throat> the shape that our nation's in right now, look at the fruits. <coughs> and this is a tough one. By the resistance. Second Timothy 3.12 All that live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. If you're humming along and everything's going really rosy, I get nervous. I think I'm going along with the world. Everything seems too smooth. That might be a good thing to start checking and go to Scripture to see if what you're doing is okay. Okay? So, with that being said, <clears throat> we've been looking at the book of 2 Corinthians. We've been looking at themes that kind of thread through this. But one of the themes that's just front and center in this second epistle to the Corinthians that was recorded in Scripture is the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Paul was emphatic about that. And I hope as we as a small group of believers here in Roanoke, we can be like that. I really believe that God has a people in this city that that's going to have power with. That's going to resonate with people. It is so different. Now don't be surprised when you say that and some people think that's foolishness. Okay. And some people think it's a stumbling block. That's okay. We'll let God sort that out. But when someone comes around and say, wow, that has power. Embrace them, take them out to dinner and talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. May the Lord bless you all. Thank you.